Welcome to the Skyda Softball Podcast. Your host, Matt Scott, will be interviewing players from past events and future events. And now, your host, Matt Scott. Hey, everybody. We at the 521 Finland Station are a proud sponsor of the South Carolina Youth Diabetes Association and their celebrity softball game. Come down to see us at the 521 Finland Station here in Kershaw, South Carolina, home of the 16-ounce ribeye. And ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another episode of the Scottish Softball Podcast. Hard to believe it is episode number 40. We have done 40 of these episodes, and this podcast started out as just an idea from a college professor of mine, but here we are, 40 episodes in. On this episode of the podcast, we are talking to a special guest, Mr. Spencer Bivens. He is with the San Francisco Giants organization. And also a fellow type one diabetic. So Spencer, appreciate you for coming on the podcast, man. Yeah, man, absolutely. Thank you for having me. So Spencer, one of the things I usually go into depth with previous guests is their recruiting process, what that was like. I know I, you know, I did a little reading on you. You went through basically a smaller college sort of thing. You know, not everybody has to go to the D1 levels and things like that. But talk about what that was like for you, and then just to kind of add a second part to the question, what would your advice be to anybody who might be starting their own process now? Oh, wow. All right. So I had had a real interesting recruiting process. So in high school, I didn't get much attention from like D3, D2, D1. So uh, my travel ball coach got me hooked up with the junior college in North Carolina, uh, Lewisburg College. I uh, went there for two years, um, played pretty well. I was still like, I don't know, like 85, 87. Um, you know, I wanted, I was one of those guys that wanted to be like D1 or bust, which I regret. But um, yeah, I didn't get much D1 attention at the time. Uh, a few schools in North Carolina, but nothing crazy. Uh, I'm from State College, Pennsylvania, so I, I wanted to play for Penn State. So uh, after Lewisburg, I ended up going back to Penn State and, like, talking to the coaches and, like, ended up trying out. Um, I made the team. I, uh, I inevitably got cut at the end of the fall. And then, like, I tried to actually stay at Penn State and get back on the team. And that was, like, two and a half years of just, like, not even really playing baseball. Um. So when it when it failed for the third time, I was like, you know what, I just got to go somewhere and play. Um, I had a buddy from junior college uh, who was out at Rogers State in Oklahoma, and he was like, hey, we're looking for a starting pitcher for this year. So I ended up hitting him up, and he got he got me hooked up with uh, Rogers State. I transferred there. I think it was the spring of seventeen. Never visited the campus. Never met the coaches in person. And and uh, just got plugged right in, and it worked out. Plugged right in and blind at the draw, basically. <laughs> but, talk, you know, so what would your advice be to any kid who might be starting their own process now? Um, don't worry about, like, what your friends are doing, what they're – where they're committing, or, like, your your peers – like, don't worry about that. Like, oh, I got to commit right now, right now. Um, do what you got to do. Like, just keep keep building 
for yourself, like brick by brick. Like if you're, if you're trying to gain velo, like just, you know, don't set the bar like crazy high where it's like out of reach. Just like make it something that you can like build on. Um, yeah. And, and I think, and the, yeah. Oh, no, go ahead. Go ahead. I didn't mean to cut you off. No, you're good. Um, just like make sure you're just taking steps in the right direction. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, and it's, and it's kind of ironic for me, you know, listening. I've listened to guys like you and another guy I had on a few episodes ago, Alberto Ozuna. He was at Walter State, played first base, DH for him, and then he transferred over to UNC Chapel Hill. And now he's playing an ACC or not championship tournament in Charlotte. You know, just listening to the what you guys have been saying, it shows that, like you're saying, it's not. It doesn't necessarily have to be Division One or nothing because you can go play at these small schools, and then if and if you like, you're saying work with the process, you can go to that next step and then go do more things because I'm hearing, you know, I've heard some things here lately, you know, here in my area of Kershaw, but that some of the kids who signed on for smaller colleges are worried about advancing to the next level. And I'm just like, enjoy it. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> and so next thing I want to usually, I just want to pick your brain here, Spence, is uh, I usually ask the guys and girls, who was their favorite team and athlete growing up? Who was your guy watching? Okay. <laughs> for, <laughs> for me, uh, so I'm from, like, Virginia Beach. Like, I was born in Virginia Beach. Like, my dad's family lives there. Uh, I lived there for, like, eight years, and I moved to State College. And um, so in the Virginia Beach area, like, Allen Iverson, Michael Vick, they're big time. So, and, like, when I was growing up, like, AI was – was killing it for the Sixers, you know, Michael Vick hadn't gone to jail yet. Um, so those, those two for sure were huge for me. Um, but baseball wise, I'd have to say Dontrell Willis. Like that was my guy. I, I wish I was left-handed because I always tried to like mimic his leg lift, but I could never do it though. Cause like I wasn't not that flexible, but I just like the way he throw. Like yeah, and he had the velocity. I, I hate, you know, D-Train was such a good pitcher to watch growing up because, he, you know, he could, you know, he could throw that 97-mile-an-hour fastball and then he can hit, which is yeah. now yeah. no longer a thing in baseball since, you know, it'll be ruled out, you know, pitchers are not hitting yeah. anymore. Universal, Universal DH. Yeah. But, you know, it's, it's weird because – you mentioned Allen Iverson. I know my boy Logan Sowell is li hopefully listening to this. If not, Logan, you better be now because you got a guy who can support Allen Iverson with you. But, uh, you know, it is weird. See, we, we see Dontrell Willis, Car uh, Carlos Zambrano, all those guys. Yeah. Become such a rare thing. Yeah. <laughs> Carlos Zambrano, that's a name. Hey, I can speak. I can speak throwback baseball with the best of them. Try to at least. But uh, you know, and Spence, one thing I was just curious about is I know I usually talk with guys about getting drafted, but you've you've had a different, I guess you'd say, approach to everything because you know you went through 
the smaller levels of college ball and you're playing the independent leagues, you know, like we were talking about off air up in Gastonia, and then you get picked up by the San Francisco Giants. So just being able to stay with that process, what's that been like for you? Um, you know, I wish I could lie to you and tell you it's been easy, but uh, easy. it's <laughs> no, man, it, it's just in the back of my head. I've always had like the belief in myself that like I just I deserve like to play at, at that level. And like, I know I'm good enough to play at that level. Um, it just it just had felt like I'd never like been in the right place at the right time. Um, like my senior year at Roger State, like I had a I had a pretty good year. Um, didn't get drafted. Then I like, then I was kind of like, all right, this, maybe this isn't it. I went to play in France. Um, and then I like, had a great year over there. Um, and I was like, you know what? I still got some of the tank. And my best friend, um, still my best friend to this day, he, he got drafted by the Dodgers out of Virginia Tech, um, Sage Jenko. And then like COVID, COVID happened and he was playing independent ball. And he actually got me like a chance to play like like a taste of indie ball because we played in like this pod league by the Washington Wild Things. And uh, and there I was like playing with other guys that were like, you know, either like low A or high A and then now are like free agents. And, like I got to see where my like my skills compared to theirs. Like, I was just as good, if not better than some of them. So it was just like reassuring. Um, but like I, I, I always had it in the back of my head. Like I was like, I know I can do this. I know I can do this. And it was just like putting in the work like was the hardest because like day in and day out, like I wasn't, I wasn't like talking to scouts in the off season. I wasn't like, I didn't have an agent. I still don't have an agent. I mean, it's just been like buying in like buying in and trusting the process. And basically taking the gamble on yourself in which yeah. I applaud yourself for, you know what I mean? Because it's a lot of people still, you know, whatever it may be, whether it's sports, business, things like that, you you, you gotta you, you gotta take that jump if you wanna see what's on the other side. Mm-hmm. And one thing I you mentioned playing in France, what was that like? Just the I mean from playing ball to the the culture atmosphere over there what was that like it was uh it was interesting it was like i i'm pretty well like traveled um i had been to europe before so i kind of had an idea like what to expect like culture wise um like it's like they've been they drink wine at like 16 over there like it's nothing so it's like it's different than here um so like we would have guys that were like smoking cigarettes in between innings <laughs> and uh but like it was a lot of fun it was a lot of fun I got to see a lot of France like a lot of the country um I met a lot of great guys a lot of people I'm still in contact with and like they're just rooting me on I get yeah. to represent this the Savigny Lions um but it, it was cool it was really cool and like the talent level was like surprisingly good still um like each team had like four or five import guys. And like those were mainly the dudes that uh, like would cause problems in a lineup. Um, a lot of them were either like 
college level like me or like had like pretty good minor league experience. Um, a lot of like a lot of Latin dudes. Um, and then like some of the French guys were, were pretty good too. And like uh, some of them even come to the US and, and play. I know one kid that like I kind of like like tutor mentor a little bit is uh, Lillian Ramos. He, uh, he just finished junior college in Texas. And I'm trying to help him like find a school to transfer to. Uh, yeah, if there's any schools out there listening to this podcast, there's a guy out there for you. Yeah, he's solid. He's a stud too. But you know, and Spencer, one of the other things I'm just curious about too is, you know, you've, you've like you said, you're well traveled and things like that. So, what are some some of the baseball stadiums you have played in that you, you know? stood out to you, you, you enjoyed playing in, things like that. Okay. Um, I think one of the coolest places I played uh, was up in Cooperstown. Um, I'm not really sure what the stadium is called, but it, it hosted like, it was either like an all-star game or uh, it might've been like a, uh, like a, like a spring training type of game. But it, it's like it's super old. It's like from like 1910. Um, I played a summer game up there. Um, it's like right next to the Hall of Fame. Um, for anybody out there listening, you probably know more than I do about the name of it. But that was pretty cool. Um, I hadn't really played many, many crazy stadiums. You know, being a like a low level college guy, and like this being my first time an affiliate. Yeah. Uh, but that's uh, been. It's been interesting. So, like, every place I go to is just, like, a new, like, wow, this is cool. Like, a new venue. Um, but, yeah, like, I wish I had more. To oh, offer oh no, I mean, one. there's always that one place, though, that, that stands out to somebody. So, I, I never knew that, you know, there would be a field near Cooperstown. I feel like I should have known, but then, yeah, though, I, I never would have. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you always hear, like, the Cooperstown tournaments, but, like, this is different, like, they play uh, they play pro games there, yeah. Um, and, that, and this place was really cool. So if you get a chance, check it out. I, I'm the baseball guy in me wishes I could, but you know, budget. <laughs> but and you know, I was gonna say, what was it like playing in Gastonia during your time there? What was that like? Oh, Gastonia was great. Oh man, uh, Goose Goose the manager and Reggie the pitching coach. And Chuck, the hitting coach, I didn't really like much with Chuck because he he does hitting, but they're all great guys. And uh, they actually they traded for me last year and, you know, gave me nothing but respect after that. And like they didn't doubt me. They, they always gave me my opportunity. So I got nothing but love for them and like that organization. Gastonia, um, it's a small it plays really small. So you see a lot of home runs there. Like if you left field is like 304 and it's like got like a 20 foot fence. So it's like, it's, it's like kind of big, but it's, it's not, it doesn't play like Fenway. Yeah. Um, so like you hit a pop fly to left, it's gone. Um, but that's the Gastonia, the town is great. Um, the fans were great, but just people were really supportive. Like we struggled a little bit last year, and then this year they totally turned it around. Um, I kind of like I kind of miss being there because uh, that team was really special. 
and they're yeah. really supportive. So, and you can probably and actually, remember. yeah, uh, another one of our pitchers just got picked up today, uh, Deck McGuire. Um, he he's kind of a vet, so he he knows what he's going through with that. But yeah, I just wanted a little shout out to him. That's right, shout out to Deck. But uh, you know, like you're talking about Gaston, it's you know, for what it sounds like, it's fan friendly, but. Deep down on a pitcher's nightmare, as you talk about <laughs> left field. Yeah, no, it really does not play well for pitchers. And if you ever look at Charlotte, uh, their baseball stadium, AAA affiliate for the White Sox, yeah, you'll you'll feel better once you see that one. I'm not bad mouthing <laughs> the nice stadium. I still go to the games there. It's a nice stadium and things like that. But my gosh, you see a lot of home runs. <laughs> <laughs> There was yeah, one guy yeah, last night. I watched the, the ACC tournament. Guys hit a towering pop fly, and all of a sudden you see it carry right over the fence. I'm, just, I just want to sit there and think that's no surprise. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, no, I hear you. So, Spence, we're going to shift here. Talk about you know living with type one diabetes. So, one of the first things I'm curious to ask you. I think we've talked about it before, but for those listening at home. What age were you when you found out that you were diagnosed? Uh, I was 13 years old going into my uh, freshman year of high school. Um, it was like the fall of freshman. Well, I guess I was already in high school. Um, it was the fall of my freshman year. I remember I had like basketball tryouts uh, the same week. And I ended up like not being able to go because I was in the hospital. I uh, like my mom's boyfriend at the time was a type one diabetic and he was like noticing these things in me, like these, these symptoms. Cause I was like, we were out to eat one time. I remember, um, and I had like drank four or five Sprites before like our appetizers even got there. And like, I was just like really thirsty and like going to the bathroom all the time. Like, People that are normal, like they think going to the bathrooms like three times, and like I was going like every fifteen minutes. Yeah. And um, so like he started to notice these things in me, and then one night I woke up with like severe like stabbing pains in my stomach, and like it just wouldn't go away. And my mom took me to the hospital. Um, yeah, and I they like tech, they checked my blood sugar and like, did a whole bunch of tests, um, but I was like four fifty at the time. Um, and they were going to, they were actually going to life flight me to this place, uh, Danville and it's like Eastern PA. Um, and they were going to life flight me, uh, but we ended up just taking like an ambulance. And then, and then I went through like four or five days worth of, you know, getting used to medications, getting like, you know, a finger test, like finger pricking and all that stuff, getting used to that. And then, uh, and yeah, it's been a diabetic sense. <laughs> You know, welcome um, to the family, basically. Yeah, yeah. It was tough to come to terms with at first, though. I gotta gotta say that. And you know, I, I'll touch it more on what you just said there here in a few months. But uh, next thing, though, know, I'm just curious about is do you use a pump, insulin pump, shots? What you what you use them? I actually have been using my uh, my uh, what's it called, Novolog uh, Flex Pen. So not a pump, you know, you know like the pens that yeah, yeah. it's actually over, over there on the nightstand. Um, but yeah, I use the the pens because I, I don't like to have the 
thing attached to me. It's like I, I can have a Dexcom attached to me. I'll, I'll explain that in a second. I'll, I'll have that, but uh, I don't like the like the loose wires and like right. dangling. I, I, I mean, everybody, and everybody has their preference too. I was just mm-hmm. curious. No, I hear you. Yeah. Um, so I used to use a, a Dexcom, you know, continuous glucose meter. Um, but with with baseball, it's kind of tough because have you have you ever used a Dexcom? Yeah. Yeah. So you know how like day eight, day nine, the uh, like the adhesive will like yeah. kind of come off. So yeah. like if I if I use that during baseball season. I have to like shower like three or four times a day because like shower when I wake up, you know, I'll shower after like after a pitcher stretch, you know, and shower before. Gonna, and it yeah. going to come off basically. I mean, and I yeah, had that just, issue with uh, the freestyle Libre at one point okay. because like, you know, I, it was three years ago, I want to say I was do, using the Libre, but I, and then I switched back over to Dexcom, but the Libre, I had no issues with it personally. It was just like yours, like we can both agree here, being diabetics and like once we sweat, we're sweating. Mm-hmm. And the Libre would just I could bump it on a on the on the side of the you know door or something, it would just pop right out. Yep. But you know, Dexcoms, it's for me, they work better as far as just I guess trying to stay attached to me, you know what I mean? But like I said, everybody's got that preference. And I'm not knocking anybody or telling anybody to go this or that. But it's just whatever works, it works. Yeah. You know, and like when I'm when I'm not in season, I love the Dexcom. I just gotta I gotta find a way to keep that thing attached to me <laughs> while while playing. Yeah, I know they make well, I I've I've had these for a while now like they're like a little it's like a little tape cover that keeps it together yeah. like i said there's there would be a point in time where i could sweat it off or shower or even shower it off like no, yeah. like it's no problem but uh you know next thing i'm curious about though is what's your go-to snack for when you're low <laughs> my go-to snack uh i love chocolate covered pretzels oh my god my god <laughs> <laughs> I say I'm a sucker for the white chocolate ones too. Yeah, they're good. They're good. Oh man, my god! I know, I know we're going to get along just fine. <laughs> <laughs> well, I uh, I don't know if if you agree with this or not, but I find that like drinks get it get it up a little bit faster. What kind of drinks? So like uh, like orange juice or yeah. like a soda. Yeah, yeah I, I could agree to that because, you know, orange juice helps, uh, a few swigs of a regular soda. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't try to go to town on them because, you know, <laughs> no. it, and you might agree with me on this one too, that first sip of a regular soda, whether it's by accident or for bringing your sugar up, you just get that taste in your mouth and you're just like, this is the worst thing I ever tasted. <laughs> yeah it's it's almost like sugar like overdose it's Honestly. i don't i'm i'm so used to like coke zero that now it's like wow that's that's a lot coke zero man i, I think it's the start of a beautiful friendship if anybody's <laughs> looking out there coke zero you got two guys that you can sponsor but hey i would 
what do I know? <laughs> but, uh, you know, have you ever had a, I know you talked about when you were, when you went to the hospital, you had the 400 level blood sugar, but have you ever had a low blood sugar that kind of just, you know, I guess you could say kind of catches you off guard or like, yeah, yeah. for me, you know, my parents basically call it me going into a survival mode sort of thing. Like if you're like, if I'm forties or something like that, they're, you know, I, I act like I'm, I need to eat quick or drink something quick or things like that. Yeah. So my question being is have you ever experienced anything like that? So um, I actually have one, one that I can think of right now. Um, when I was in France, uh, my girlfriend was visiting me and uh, we were right about to go like in the vans to a baseball game. And uh, my roommates, like they all knew I was diabetic, but they didn't like really know what, uh, like what comes with that. So I was like, I woke up one time like to go like in the morning to go to the game. And I was fine. And then I went like back to bed. And then uh, I was like incoherent. Like I, I wasn't making any sense to them. Like, I don't really remember this, but she remembers it. Um, and I was like not making any sense, like asking all sorts of weird questions. And I tested my blood sugar. I remember I was like 44, which I've been, I've been lower and like yeah. been coherent, which that, that's also another thing we could talk about. Um, but this, this particular time, like I was completely out of it and she was like working really hard. Sydney is her name. She's working really hard to like help, help me like get it up. And I ended up, she like get it, gave me like Coca-Cola. Um, and then when I finally like came to, um, it was just like, what happened? Like what's, what's going on? Yeah. I mean, my, my only story that I can recall to this day you know, I've been told the story and I remember part of it. Then, and I talked, and for those listening on the podcast, I talked about it with, uh, I think it was Slade Carroll, another diabetic guy, probably what you can touch with Spencer. But the story goes I was in eighth grade history class. We were going through some things in the textbook. The teacher called on me, you know, did my part. But about two or three minutes later, I just felt my body flushed. Like, okay, I'm sugar's low. Let's just, just get up, get on up, go to the nurse. And at the time, my mom was a school nurse and who was now a diabetic educator. But, you know, she, you know, we were, she, at the time, she told teachers, like, if, if he needs a buddy, send one with him. That way he doesn't fall out in the middle of the floor and nobody knows because, you know, that way, the buddy can run and get, you know, my mom, for example. And the story, but the story goes, it was me and two other guys by the name of Denton Three and Jacob Annan. The three of us were the biggest guys in the class at the time, you know. Four. And we're walking up there, and next thing I know, my mind goes into that survival where I stopped. And I just looked, I said, I can't make it up there. Nope, my body's shutting down. Nope. And next thing I know, I don't remember what happened after that, but my mom told me that 
I had both guys picked up by their collar, like, you know, shirts, picking them up, pushing them away from me. I'm just fighting everybody off just so I can get to the nurse's office. And my sugar ended up being like 50. But I, and like you said, I've been lower. I've been I've been higher too. But, and I can remember those times, but that one time, it's like I remember everything leading up to then, but it's like after that, it's a blank. Yeah. So I hear you. It's weird, man. I don't I don't know what, what it is with like the specific times when you're low and it's like that because like i've been lower and been and been fine like been able to think and been able to be like self-aware like, i don't i don't understand that i wish i knew more about why why it's like that you know i can say the same you know and i and I, I still feel like i learn things to this day you know listening to my mom you know she comes home tells me these stories i'm just like wow you know what i mean and it's it's definitely been an interesting, I guess you could say, learning experience. Just because I'm sure you can agree with me, we're both still learning something. Because like we were talking about the technology earlier, it's improved drastically over time. Because mm-hmm. oh yeah, I mean, I'm sure you've seen before, like the insulin pumps were like a, a size of a book bag. Yeah. And now yeah. you can just spend in your pocket. So that's and that and that's one of the things I'm I, I guess you'd say appreciative for just so I could be able to follow along and the and the technology is it's a way to help, you know, guys like you and me and the kids out there. So and and next thing I was gonna ask you is this. I've asked a few other of the diabetic guys I know. But I want to ask you, what is the what's what's the routine for you? Whether it's a you know just a day where you work out at the field, or or even when you know it's your day to start on the map. Okay, so um, I'll start with like when I wake up, I'll immediately test. Um, I can kind of sense where I'm at. When I wake up, if I have to like, if I have to go to the bathroom like immediately, I know I'm probably like 180 or higher. If um, if I'm feeling you know all right, then I'm probably all right. Um, but I always check. Um, I'll try to get. I'll, I'll take my shot for whatever if I need it. Um, then I'll try to get a little breakfast in, get my get my body going. Um, especially now that I'm like back on the finger pricking, which like I don't love, but it's it's like an easy manual way to check it. Um, I try to check like at least like six times a day, especially playing. Um, so I'll check, go to the gym, do whatever we have to do team wise. Um, I'll try to have it close to 100, 150 when I'm going to the gym. Like I'm trying to have it like slowly creeping up so that like I can like be burning that yeah. at the gym. And, um, you know, I'll check it when I get back from the gym, you know, do whatever I need to do. Um, you know, do my normal stuff. I'll go take a shower and, you know, go to the field, check it at the field. Um, pitcher stretch, I'll make sure I'm good. Like I'm not going low because if when I go low, um, 
you know, I notice like I, I can't really locate whenever I'm throwing. Like I'll just like I'll either sail it or like I'll like be spiking it. And that's another thing, like playing with guys um, that they like don't really know you diabetic uh, or like know what comes with that. Like they'll be like, why? Like, like what happened? Like where? Why are you all over the place? Like, and I don't like to use like my blood sugar is low, like as a like a scapegoat kind of thing. I feel right. I feel like guilt. I feel like guilty for that, which I shouldn't. But um, that's just like what it is. So like I'll I'll just try to keep it you know keep it even like uh, any anything else. But I have noticed, I have noticed that I like I kind of pitch better when my blood sugar is a little higher, which is strange. <laughs> I mean, you know, I can. I usually, for me, all the years I played baseball, it was always adrenaline that could, you know, get my blood flowing. And I, if I was, I try to usually drink a Gatorade and maybe snack on like a one of them Quaker granola bars because I used to love them things back in the day. <laughs> but, you know, see one of them, throw my bullpens, get, you know, and then get my running in. And then after that, it'd still be level. But you know, you talk about using it as a try not to use it as an excuse, which you know, I feel like you're not the only one who, like in general, a diabetic diabetics in general can feel some sort of way about that. But you know, I've I've told people from just my two cents of it, I never really tried to use it for that. You know, why I'm behind this ninth year of my own event, just so I can, you know, show diabetics anything is possible. And that, you know, and I'll get into that towards the end of this podcast here. But you know, it's from from an athletic perspective, I never try to use it as an excuse. I mean, I think the only the only excuse I ever came up with it was just for the fact I was not that in shape to do something because you know senior year of baseball we we did a lot of running in uh the and the coaches knew you know the coaches knew I was diabetic and there's like hey if you need a break get your breather but I know and we ran that whole practice and if anybody's listening to this especially you John Coffin uh, you know what practice I'm talking about. But, you know, I never try to use it as an excuse, but just being all the, the sprints and the foul poles running, things like that, I'd always be at the back of the pack. But I try to get it in. And then, you know, one of the guys called me out saying it as an excuse, and I didn't, and I didn't tolerate it, you know. Me and the senior at the time, I just kind of spoke my two cents and walked away from it, which surprisingly caught a lot of attention just for the fact that the coaches sided with me because they were thinking I was fixing to get in a get in a fight. But I got you. you know, I and I tell people it's you you use it for what you're out there for. You're trying to you, you make it a purpose. You use your Everybody's heard me say it. Reggie Sanders told me, former major league outfielder, you know, use your passion, 
Kenny Burmish to inspire others to use theirs. And that's, and that's what I'm trying to do with being a diabetic and trying to show you can do anything. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, I hear you. But, you know, it's, it's definitely always interesting to hear another perspective just because it's, you know, it's all, it always helps because, you know, there's, there's probably people out there listening. They feel like they're the only ones, but hey, you're not. You got two guys over here saying anything's possible. You know what I mean? It's crazy. Um, when I when I went to Arizona with the Giants initially, my roommate, ironically, the very first person I met in affiliate ball was a type one diabetic, and uh, I had no idea. They didn't say anything to me about it. Um, I just saw his Dexcoms like on the the table, like in the in the corner of like the hotel room, and I was like, bro, there is no way you are a type one diabetic. And it's like, yeah, man. Like, and uh, his name's Jared Dupree. Um, but yeah, like it was like it's crazy, like the coincidence, like like talking to you and then like meeting him all within a week. It's just like it was wild. And, it, and it's honestly like Buddy Carlisle, the bitch for the, in the majors for however many years. He got diagnosed later on in his career, about 2009, 2010. And then I finally had a chance to pick his brain a little bit come 2012. He came back to the States and played for the Braves organization. And just being able to pick his brain about what to do, what not to do, as far as the, the, day, the daily practices or games. It, was, it's, it always helps knowing you can ask somebody the questions that you might not know the answers to. Mm-hmm. That's one thing I brag about. My mom, for example, you know, she, with all the things she's done, being a diabetic educator, she she was at the Children's Hospital down in Augusta, Georgia. She switched jobs now in Columbia, South Carolina, at the hospital there. You know, she's able to point out what, you know, what works or what can work, what, what might not work. And just being able to help the kids and the families that are finding out the news that me and you went through what you know however many years ago it is now for me at least because my mom was in that was in that position before and I'm sure your mom was too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, and that's why I say the diabetic community is an interesting one because you never know who you're gonna be. Kinda it's like crazy you. man. Honestly it is but uh you know, like I said, being able to interact with you just kind of off on the fly sort of thing. It was it was honestly interesting just because, like you told me off air, you found the softball page and you're just like, there's no way. And all of a sudden, I'm just like, yeah, this is what we do. This is this and that. You know, we help we help those who, or well, I should say. We help each other. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And so, Spencer, as we're rounding third base, coming home to this part of the podcast, I usually end it in you know in one way of the podcast, but I'm gonna I go with and with this approach. 
what would your advice be to any kid out there who were try who hopes to achieve whatever dream they may have, whether it's baseball, acting, music, whatever it is, what is your advice to those kids with type one diabetes who hope to achieve their dreams as they get older? Um, failure is a part of it. Um, don't, don't let that first uh, failed attempt stop you from continuing because um, I mean I failed countless times and you know we're we're still here that's right so like failure is a part of the process um, if if it wasn't you know everybody would just you know be be perfect and be fine you know so like failure, failure is definitely a, a big part of it and dealing with that. Yeah, you know, like you said, we've all failed, but it's always about how we get back up. Mm -hmm. You know, and everybody knows me long enough to know I've failed left and right at so many things. I've, you know, recovered from other things as well, but being able to get back up and move forward and keep stepping, it, it goes far. And lastly, Spencer, I, I can easily say we're, or well, I'm appreciative to have you, what I call this family at the softball event. You know, it's a cheesy expression. I tell everybody just because whether you play in the events, support the event, podcast, whatever it is, it's, it, it always, show, it always helps than what we're trying to do. And so for that, I appreciate you for coming on the podcast today. It was definitely fun. And last but not least, before I forget, feel free to take the floor for a minute. I'm going to let you feel free to plug in anything you want to plug in, social medias, anything else you want to plug in. The floor is yours. <laughs> okay. Um, so if you, want to, if you want to give me a follow, uh, my... My Instagram and my Twitter is uh, at Bivs Marquee. It's B-I-V-Z-M-A-R-K-I-E. Um, you know, I don't I don't post much on Twitter, but, uh, you know, I try to keep my Instagram, you know, up to date with what I'm going through in my life. So, I mean, yeah, you know, it is what it is. If you come and check it out, you don't. It doesn't matter really to me. But, uh, you know. I appreciate you having me on here, man. This has been this has been cool to talk to you about. Definitely, you know, and like I said, if there's anything else I can do, you know, one dot back to another, just let me know. You got my you got my socials. And for those listening at home, we appreciate you for listening to this episode of the podcast. Don't forget to leave a like, subscribe, whatever it may be, wherever you listen to your podcast, uh, Sky Softball Podcast on Apple and Spotify, uh, Sky Softball G on Twitter and Instagram. It's got a softball game on Facebook. And then for the websites, skyda.com, if you want to learn more about what we're trying to do with Skyda, uh, skydasoftball.com, learn more about this crazy event I started nine years ago now. And then last but not least, campsweetescape.com, learn more about the camp. You know, as I've mentioned before on the podcast, the softball game helps the kids 
go to the camp for a lower cost. That way they can learn how to take better care of their diabetes and things such as that. And if, as I mentioned, skydive.com, if you want to donate, donate a dollar, donate five dollars, whatever it may be, you know, like I said, those donations help the kids tremendously. And once again, everybody, thank you to listening of the Sky Softball Podcast. Hey, this is Barry Klankenick with Clank's Mosquito and Ant Control. We're a proud sponsor of the South Carolina Youth Diabetes Association and their celebrity softball game. Uh, if you need a quote or have any questions, feel free to reach out via Facebook. Hey, just wanted to say thanks again for listening to this episode of the Sky to Softball Podcast. We want to let everybody know that on Saturday, June 4th at Golden Lanes in Simpsonville, South Carolina, the Joanna Lions Club is coordinating their charity bowling tournament known as Strikeout Diabetes. The proceeds from the tournament will go to help those with diabetes education and support visually impaired individuals in the community with vision needs. If you're interested in being a sponsor or playing in this tournament, give the coordinator, Eddie Marshall, a call at 864-200-9797.